Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're on the phone with someone that our audience has heard a lot of over the last couple months. But we've got a special episode here that's going to air the week before the 49th running of the New York City Marathon. And we've got our running coach, endurance coach, John Honorkamp, on the phone with us. Hey, John, how are you? Hey, Dino. Happy to be here again. Thanks for having me. Well, we love having you on the podcast. There's always some great nuggets that we get to share with our runners and our fans and our participants. And this show, folks, for those listening at home, is going to be dedicated to the New York City Marathon. And I'm really jazzed about this, John. I know we were talking before we started recording here. I've run it twice. You've run it multiple times. We're two weeks, a little bit less than two weeks to race day here. And this is going to air the week before, the week leading into the New York Marathon. So we hope to share a lot of like really great information for our runners that are going to be running it. And then also for the public, I mean, this is, I know they don't usually typically release the numbers pre, they always do it post, but consecutively or consistently, I should say, John, this has been the world's largest marathon for quite some time, right? Yeah, I think that the record is either a year or two ago or it was 52,000, I think the ballpark. Yeah, and I know usually, I mean, I know next year is really the big year for them, which is going to be the 50th anniversary. So I've got to imagine next year they're going to go all out, you know, in terms of maybe beating that record. But, you know, we will have 50,000 finishers this year. I'm pretty confident to say that. I don't think it's been under 50 for the last couple of years since we've been involved in the race, which has been the last seven years. So with that, let's get started, John. And let's talk first about what runners could expect on the way over to Staten Island because there is there's two ways to get there right i mean well nyr provides two ways which is either the bus from midtown or new jersey or the ferry from the Staten Island ferry terminal down in lower manhattan and what should runners expect during that journey or or what are some of the things maybe we could share with the runners here yeah i think that's probably the biggest challenge of the new york new york city marathon i think it's the biggest and the best and lots of great things about it. The, probably the biggest pain and issue and concern, other than weather, which comes into play, which is out of our hands, we can, you know, we, we can take a look at that as we get closer and kind of see what layering we need and all that. But logistics logistics getting out, 51 plus thousand runners out there, probably five or six or 8,000 volunteers, um, medical staff, you know, it, it's just logistically a, a big challenge. That's why I think you know, you, you, oftentimes you have to get up 4.30, 3.30 in the morning, you know, daylight savings, which is... <laughs> yeah, you lose an hour. Luckily, <laughs> it's in our favor. Like, if you if you sleep in, it's like you're losing well, we an, hour, an hour. Well, we gain an hour, yes. But it's just like a, a pain. So I think some people really stress about it. I know a lot of athletes I've been, I coach over the years, and this year is no different. Um, that's the big, how do I get there? How, what do I eat? How do I eat differently? And it's really just being prepared to being up for a while before the race. I think the first thing you know, we've been talking in the past is about 18 different starts between the waves and the different courses and the wheelchair athletes and the pro women. And so it's really, especially if you're on a later wave, three or four, and you sometimes can be out there three or four hours just waiting around. And whether it's hot, cold, wet, rainy, perfect conditions for running, there's definitely a challenge of having to wait around for such a long time. So I think it's really just um, managing your morning and, and planning appropriately, not panning about it, kind of embracing that as part of the, the badge of honor that you're taking the ferry or you're out there early, you know, with a bunch of strangers that are now your new best friends. And so I think there's definitely figuring out what your your 
flow is that morning, finding out, you know, whatever wave you're in. But uh, people, I got a question just before this, uh, this call, um, you know, where it was like, hey, I'm taking a bus there, but if, but I picked the, he's taking like a Prospect Park Track Club bus. So they have their own charter. And uh, I remember two years ago, one of those buses didn't show up. <laughs> so they were all panicking and Ubering over. But ideally, that bus shows up and, and they're fine. But it's uh, his backup plan is taking the ferry. And he's worried because he originally picked, you know, a couple of you know, months ago or so, he picked the Midtown bus. And he's worried, oh, well, if I some reason sleep in, I miss the Prospect Park Track Club bus. If I go into, if I take the ferry, are they going to kick me off the ferry? And I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, they're going to, Roadrunners will take you wherever you are. They're not going to leave anyone behind. They obviously don't want people to, everyone to take the ferry would be a logistical problem. Everyone taking the Midtown bus would be a problem. So they definitely use some scare tactic as far as like getting there super early and making sure you um, take the, 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 I mean, we encourage you to, to, to go with what you chose, but um, it's definitely something where it, you'll, you'll find a way to get there on the, on the start line. Um, it's just making sure that you're not panicked, you're not wasting energy, you're properly dressed, you have an extra pair of shoes if it's raining so you can start the race with dry So some of those things I'm sure we'll talk about, but it's just a, it's, it's the most epic start of all sports. Unfortunately, it's just a pain in the neck to get there um, with the amount of bodies that have to get there and get over the bridge with personnel and, and then security, which is all there for our safety. But um, just embrace it because it is the biggest pain in the neck of the race is, is getting to the start for sure. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's where we preach to our participants like have a plan, right? And I, But I will say this, uh, for those who have run the race, maybe they can you know, echo this sediment is that that is part of the journey of getting to that race. Right. If you really think about it, I mean, we said earlier, you know, it's, it's the largest marathon in the world and you're going on this pilgrimage with everyone to the start. And, and it is really fascinating. I mean, New York is the Mecca. It's the largest city in the world. It's where everything happens, whether you're in financial services or medicine or, you know, mostly most industries, you know, start and, you know, become great in New York. So I, I think it's just such a cool journey that morning to be with all these people. And it is fascinating. If you really kind of peel back the layers of the race and John, I, you know, we've shared before you've worked with NYR. So you, you have some of that back knowledge in terms of the organization of the race. It's fascinating how, like you said, I mean, it takes a lot to get, you know, 50,000 plus people plus the 8,000 volunteers to Fort Wadsworth there that morning and get them off through 26 miles of the five boroughs, which we're going to talk about. But to get to the start, it's just really cool. And I think whether you're taking a bus or I prefer the the Staten Island Ferry, I, I just think it, there's something magical about that. And I've only taken the ferry, so it's the only thing I can compare to. But it is pretty wild when, you know, you get to the Staten Island Ferry. Everyone who is on the subway that morning is going to the Staten Island Ferry, it seems like. And everyone's dressed in, in, you know, what throwaways they have, depending on the weather determines how many layers they have and whether they have, you know, rain gear and stuff like that, which we'll we'll hit a little bit on. I think it's still very early to, to kind of predict the weather here for, for New York, even though we're two weeks out. But I think just that trip across the river there and you know you've got the statue of liberty on your right hand side as you go through 
you know, the river there over to Staten Island is just really magical and kind of sets the tone for the morning that day. And then you get over to the Staten Island terminal, ferry terminal there in Staten Island, and then you get on a bus to get to Fort Wadsworth. But it's really kind of special that day, uh, I think, which kind of starts with taking that subway or, you know, getting on the bus and then getting over to, to Fort Wadsworth. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I would just say embrace it as part of the day. You know, not, yeah. don't panic about it. Don't lose sleep over it. I just, just accept, more accept it, embrace it, and uh, talk to different people. And everyone's in such a great mood. I think that that day is the, uh, my favorite day. And I think it's the best day in New York City, whether you're a spectator or a runner, a volunteer, giving out medals or giving out water. The city really comes out full force. And, uh, you know, I complain about that in the sense of it, it's logistically challenging. Yeah. But, you know, obviously you're, you want to rest up and save your energy for the race. But if you're stressing about that, you can't change it. No. <laughs> so unless you're kind of jumping out of a helicopter and, and landed on the stowing line. <laughs> yeah, and it's, most people you don't have... have to go through it. And, yeah. And said, talk to people. Yeah, everyone's your best friend. You know, asking people where they're from or who they're, what, what charity they're a part of or what their time goal is. And everyone's in such a good mood that, uh, yeah, yeah, just enjoy that. And I do, I do, I mean, I've actually only not, I thought that the only way, I've, I've only, only taken the bus, actually. So <laughs> I, but I, I think the more epic photos and videos you see are of that Staten Island Ferry Terminal. Um, you know, where everyone's like bundled up and they're all excited and all nervous and they're all smiling. And, uh, you know, again, it's challenging, but again, try to enjoy it as much as possible because everyone's kind of in the same boat unless you're the pros where you have special, special starts and stuff. But, you know, 99% of the athletes are, are sitting there waiting around just like you. Which is awesome. <laughs> Which is awesome because on that day, everyone is in that same boat, right? Other than those few elite runners that we know are, you know, gunning for some money or, you know, looking for, you know, to win the race. So it's just awesome. Uh, I think to just be around all those people from all walks of life and you all have the ultimate goal, which is getting through the five boroughs and finishing in central park. So you get to the start, whether you take the bus or you take the ferry. And as you said, John, you've always taken the bus. I've always taken the ferry. So both great ways of getting there. So regardless of what what mode of transportation you're getting there, um, if you've selected, you can't go wrong. And then once you get to the start village, I think something that you uh, that you mentioned here, uh, just briefly, just about you know the safety and the logistics and stuff like that. I guess for someone who's never run the race, I think the one thing that I know with the NYR that they take very seriously is the security of the participants, um, and that is something that I think for someone who's never run the race will see firsthand as they get to Fort Wadsworth, whether they get off the bus from Midtown or from New Jersey or from the Staten Island Ferry Terminal, is the just the large presence of police and also security that they will have to go through to get into Fort Wadsworth. Fort Wadsworth is closed for those listening. So if someone thinks that their cousin or Aunt Sally or their brother or sister are going to be able to accompany them to the start line, that is not happening, right, John? Uh, it's it's, right. it's pretty, pretty secure place. And that's for the safety of the runners. So once they get through there, and, and quite honestly, John, I've I've actually... In my two times that I've run the New York Marathon, I've timed this perfectly. And I don't recommend this for many people because I think this could bring a, kind of an onset of nerves on race day. But I just have been really good timing where I've taken an early, early ferry over to Staten Island. Um, I've got on a bus from the Staten Island Ferry Terminal to Fort Wadsworth and literally have waited in the village for like less than 10 minutes and then into my corral and then the start of the race. But... 
I'd love to hear kind of your feedback on the village because it is really special. And I think that's something that I've never embraced. And maybe this year I will embrace a little bit more uh, because I'm not going to kind of stress about, you know, getting there too early and kind of hanging around. I'll kind of prepare myself for that. But share with our listeners what they can expect there in the village. And there, there's a couple villages just because of the size of the race. And depending on which wave start they're in or, or which color coded wave they're in will determine where they will have to be when they get to uh, the village there. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously the, the three major, there's actually, people don't realize this, but there's three actually, three different certified courses. Now it's, it's obviously 26.2. Up top is the, the blue and the orange. They're about 400 meters different as far as their starting line. They're pretty much the same. Um, I think once you hit Fourth Avenue and Bay Ridge, you'll see like one side of the street is blue and the other side of the street is, is orange. Yep. And some people will cross over. It really doesn't matter <laughs> at that point. But the green is, is underneath. Yes. And they actually, you don't actually hit Fourth Avenue with the other participants until 5K because you know, the way the, the ramps work, you know, coming from underneath the bridge. So, but within those three villages, um, yeah, there's a lot of amenities. There's, um, you know, lots of space. I always tell people if they're checking a bag, you know, go to the bag check just to see how long it takes from where they might be camped out because, um, you know, once the race, you know, the, the timelines start coming into play and they have, you need to see the announcements, 10 minutes to, you know, you don't want necessarily want to check. You could check your bag right away if you, if you don't need it as far as you just, it's just stuff for the finish line and you have your, all your throwaway layers and all that. But if you're checking a bag and you need some of your stuff, like an inhaler or whatever, you know, certain foods, you um, definitely want to time it out. It's going to take stuff off your stuff. Uh, so if you get there early, you can kind of scope out, okay, this is where my corral enters and begins. This is where my baggage check is. This is where I'm going to hang out on the newspaper or... or uh, a garbage bag or you know, whatever you have, a, a blanket of some sort. Or bathroom. And then if you're not checking a bag, you have you don't, you don't have to worry about that. You, just kinda, you can kind of just plop down wherever you need to. But there's water and Gatorade and coffee and bagels. Not, you don't want to bank on what they have because you never know what they, you know, on that day. You want to definitely control what you're eating before you leave and what you bring with you. But there's definitely, the, I know there's like there's uh, comfort dogs, there's uh, uh, a chapel of some sort, there's a medical tent, there's a lot of amenities where, especially if you're out there for a few hours hanging out, you know, just the nature of all the rules and regulations, you definitely need some type of structure and, and, and uh, logistics set in place where, you know, if there is someone who has heat stroke or whatever it is, it, yeah, people are prepared to, to deal with that because you have a large group of people hanging out for a long period of time. There's music playing, there's helicopters up and above, there's, uh, it's just like, a, I think, a kind of a nice energy. Lots of volunteers. They're super thrilled to be there. The staff who are probably exhausted because I've done that myself when I used to work there. Like, they've been working for a long time for this race. Um, I think it's just a special vibe and energy once you get there. And it's really just kind of finding a spot and, and just kind of trying to conserve energy and not waste any of that nervous energy, um, you know, doing too much or standing too long before. But, uh, yeah, any, every one of those those areas are going to be the same. So don't panic if you're in green versus blue, or, or I think a lot of people want to move there. They they, everyone feels like they're in the, the wrong corral. They want to move up, which is something you can't do. You can always move back. You can, if your number is higher, you can even go in orange if you're blue. And it's just, you can't move up and go faster. It's one of these things where if that's the case, you had everyone trying to do that. And that logistically makes it complicated, but uh, I just love the energy of, of, you know, once you get through security and you're there and you're, so that you're less worried about, missing everything or being late to the start, you know, that, that famous dream that everyone might have, whether it's slow motion or they're missing the starting line or they, they 
they can't get to the finish line. Um, you know, so it's definitely something that once you get there, I think you can have a little bit of sigh relief of not panicking. And like you said, you, you can plan it well where you're not spending too much time there. Correct. I think a lot of people think of these, oh, I've been there six hours, and I've definitely got there. And, and had to get in the corral pretty quickly, like you, like you, Dino. So yeah, you don't necessarily want to year. plan that because if you're late, it could be an issue. But it's definitely something where it's not an automatic three hours there. You can plan it better. It's just sometimes the nature of the buses that morning and how things flow. And there's an accident on some highway or you know, all these other things that kind of out of your control that can come into play. So you just have to kind of take what the day gives you and, and not worry about it. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, the second year that I did New York, uh, we we timed it fairly well. We were, we were close. We almost got you know locked out of the corral. We just made it in. And that's something for our listeners at home. If you are running the race, I think one of the great things that NYR does, well, many they do many things great, but with the race is they give you the start timeline. And in that, they give you, you know, each wave when you should drop bags off by, when the corral opens, when the corral closes, and when the wave starts. So, you know, in most cases, you've got to be in your corral, you know, a half hour to 20 minutes ahead of time before that actual corral uh, starts. So I, and I think one of the things, and, and we, and I think we've mentioned this on, on a previous podcast, you know, there's restrooms or porta johns, we should say inside the corral. So just because you get in the corral, I know what a lot of races, you know, you get into the corral, like we just came off of Chicago and Chicago, there are no bathrooms in the corrals. You have to go right. to the bathroom before you get in the corrals. So just because you're in there for 20 minutes or, you know, uh, 25, 15 minutes. It depends on what, what wave start you're in. I think wave one, there's a longer wait time just because of, you know, the, the, the waves and how they're, how they're run, you know, doesn't mean you're not going to be able to go to the bathroom. I hope our listeners uh, understand that. And that's, I think one great thing that NYR does. I think the other thing too, John, that I just want to throw out here, and you mentioned, you know, you can move in, in the waves, you can always go backwards. You can't go forwards. And I know this comes up a lot. So you mentioned orange is on one side of the Verrazano on the top, uh, blue is on the other side. I believe orange is on the right or the left. I think blue is on the right. And then green goes on the bottom. And we always get runners that say, hey, I, I hear if I'm on the bottom of the bridge, I get peed on. And I've got to say that- Most common was the common like, uh, <laughs> yeah, worry with the green star. Yeah, sure. we're going to get peed on. Is And that's got to be kind of like this this tale of tales that I, I think is not true. Because in the, the two times that I've run the race, I've never seen anyone stop on the Verrazano to go to the bathroom and pee on anyone below. Uh, but even in years you know, since we've evolved, I've never heard of anyone getting peed on on the bottom. So can we put that to rest that that's just like a false? I think that might have happened like back in the day. Like, <laughs> but I've actually... Five and six and seven. I was in charge of the local competitors, which is the local elite who aren't in the sub elite, aren't in the, um, you know, the the pro field, but they, yeah. you know, they're they're you know they, they get a good start. And there, we're I, I was basically for three years in a row at the start of the green. I wasn't running at the time. I was helping Mary Wittenberg out with this local competitive group. And you're actually not starting underneath the bridge. You're starting off like on one of the ramps. So you're actually above you is sky. Yeah, and then we were right right in front of the NYPD and the FDNY group, and uh, now obviously once you get going, you do within a hundred or four hundred meters, you're within, you're underneath the bridge. At that point, everyone's running, and if there's the odd person peeing, it's you know you're gonna notice. Um, <laughs> it's more, um, I think that you know there's definitely old footage of the the troughs, which are just like yeah. wooden things that like people would pee on like before the race, and that's like seventies and eighties. You see some of these old clips, but. 
something that I think it's um, it, it might have happened once back in the day, and it just becomes this like this tale, tale of like, like yeah, just, just kind of like a life of its own. Where it's, <laughs> you know, and if you're not worried about it, you can start in blue or orange. You just have to be further back. Yeah. Um, but obviously, they don't want everyone doing that because of that, yeah, that, true, that, true. That, so so we're issue of the flow. So yeah. So we're putting that tale to rest. That does not happen. Um, if it happens, don't come back and yell at us that it happened. But from you know what we've known, it, we've never seen that happen. So don't worry about it. You're fine. You'll be fine. You will not get peed on. Let's start with the race, John. And I know we've mentioned the Verrazano. So the cannon goes off. And now let's talk about one of the many bridges that we start. And one thing that I didn't realize until really the second year or so that first year, I didn't realize how long the Verrazano is. And yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's two miles. It's two miles. Yeah. So which is good and bad, because it's good that you now only have 24 to go once you get off the bridge. But it's also for someone who, if you've never done the race before, I don't think you realize how long the bridge is because you're so pumped up. And uh, there's a lot of energy on that start line, which I think you can get carried away really quick. Uh, because you've got the helicopters, you've got the cannon going off, you know, they they do all the, the pomp and circumstance at the start of that wave, whatever wave you're in, and you've got, you know, almost, you know, 12,000, 14,000 runners in your wave, possibly. So there's a lot of energy. So it, 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 be careful, I guess, is my point here, right, with the bridge? Yeah, I can just enjoy it. If, if, you're, if you're trying to run Sub four, which is nine oh nine pace. Like you're not going to run nine oh nine on the first mile. Eh? It's crowded, but it, you have twenty six, twenty five point two miles after that first mile to fix it or to. So just know, I've actually run a minute slower than my goal pace that first mile because people don't realize that's actually the steepest mile of the whole course. Yeah, but no one talks about it like that because it's fun and it's exciting and you're fresh and you're. And so, but the problem is, if say, say you're trying to run nine oh nine and you run ten thirty. You look at your watch, which might not be accurate because of the cell phone or the, the saturation, and everyone has a GPS watch and the cell phone with them. It's one of these things where you know, well, hopefully it works, but it might. If it is working, it might be a little bit off. But um, the second mile is, is is all that climbing you just did. It's a big downhill, so the fastest mile typically is, is mile two, coming off the slowest mile, mile one. So I've run like the same effort and run like. The first year I ran with the bike, I ran with the celebrity in 2011. I ran with Apollo, and I remember we probably averaged like 747 for the race. Our first mile was like 907, and our second mile was 720. Wow! And I did not even we didn't change it. We didn't, it was like we picked it up. We just ran the same effort. We were just kind of hanging out, having a good time, getting warmed up, finding our rhythm, taking in the views. So if you're someone who's trying to run 909 or 908 because you want to break four and you run 1010. That the biggest mistake is to try to make up for it because you and you panic and then you run sprint down the hill and then you run like a, a seven minute mile. If you just did what you were doing effort wise, you'd probably make up forty five of that of seconds of that minute in one mile without even doing anything different. So I just tell people the first split to really care about is from is the third mile from mile two and once you get over the bridge into Bay Ridge from two to three is the first kind of relatively flat mile. That's the first split you should really care about because the first two are kind of a wash. It's going to be busy. It's going to be, you know, slow. The first mile is going to be a little fast. The second mile, just enjoy it. It's a pretty unique experience to have beautiful views of the city. And it's, it's kind of, and you don't realize there's no spectators on the bridge because yeah. it's an interesting point. Because we get later in the race, we'll talk about that with the 59th Street Bridge at Pulaski. 
but no one talks about there's no spectators on the Verrazano because it's the start. Like you said, the pomp, pomp and circumstance and the excitement. But just don't worry about your splits. Just you're going to run what you're going to run. Most people around you are probably in positions where they should be. There's always the outliers of someone who, you know, filled out a time that was too wrong or that they this guessed on how fit they were or what they could possibly do and someone does belong. But for the most part, everyone around you is a similar pace. And just cruise the bridge, warm up, take it in. And then from mile two to three in Bay Ridge and Fourth Avenue, which is a real big stretch and pretty wide, you could, you know, start picking up some, some time if you feel like you missed, you know, you've you lost them on the bridge. But, you know, going out too fast at any marathon is a more mistake, but especially in New York with the excitement. And I definitely have seen people sprint mile two to make up for mile one, and then they just crush their quads, which is not something you want to do in mile two. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great point, John. And, and, you know, I've got the elevation profile up here, too, which, again, can be found on the Marathon website with a with the start map and, and the, the course map as well. But, you know, if you look, it's pretty consistent from miles two through, you know, almost five and a half where, you know, you, you're above sea level or elevation, you know, not not dramatic here because it's new york and, and you know the the race is somewhat flat other than the bridges and then the you know the the finish line you know there from mile 23 to 26 which we'll get to eventually but yeah you 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 hit a very important point because i think you know clearly with any race you get really excited but you do have this opportunity from miles two all the way through i mean you're you're talking you know pretty much that first half of the race probably all the way through to the Pulaski Bridge, which really doesn't have that great of an incline, but really up to that Queensboro Bridge, which is like mile 15. So let's talk about that. You come off the bridge and then now you're in Brooklyn for most of the time here in that first half of the race. So really from like mile two through uh, pretty much mile 13, um, it's relatively flat here in Brooklyn. Yeah, I think, um, and again, I ran the course, um, you know, visit. You know, I'm up, we're doing the last 10 this weekend, but I ran the first, like, from mile, I think, 3 to 16, early in the training cycles, people here locally, and it's always nice to, you know, run it, you know, parts of the course if you're local, because it's just, you know, if you, know, if you ran in New York last year, it's a long time ago, so um, it's really, you know, from 2nd to 8 is, uh, 2 to 8 is really wide and flat, you know, kind of undulating a little bit, but really, you don't even notice it, but I had, you do notice that mile 8, that's where technically all three courses converge. Correct. And there's a little um, bit of an uphill. So, yeah, and you make a left and then a quick right yeah. on the Lafayette, and that's from 8 to 9. And it, it narrows there quite significantly. Correct, yep. It's a two-lane road versus like a six-lane road. Yep. And it is um, it is a slight uphill. So from 8 to 9, you'll see it get a little claustrophobic. It's a great spot because of everyone's out on their, like their porches, and a bunch of beautiful brownstones on that block. It's a beautiful block, but it's a slight uphill. And it actually feels like you're running in a tunnel because of the trees on that yep. road. Yep. They're they're up they're tall trees, and then up top by them, they they kind of they kind of each, each side kind of blends into one another. It's almost like a kind of tunnel a tunnel of trees. And uh, it's it's yeah, the, the crowds in Bay Ridge and Brooklyn are great, but it's pretty wide. This is the first first real narrow spot on the course. So you might get you might have a slow up because of congestion, but it it, it it is a cool spot because it's a beautiful neighborhood. It's, everyone's out on their porch. Um, you're kind of running through this tunnel, um, so it's, it's actually pretty shaded, but it is a slight uphill, so I would, I would call that a hill, even though it's not as significant as the bridges. And then once you get through that, once you get to 11 and 12, you're making a couple turns in Greenpoint. Um, and then uh, I, I often find it, I don't know if you remember from the last two times you ran, Dino, is 
I always get co- it always like gets colder over there because you get yeah. closer to the water. Closer to the water, and, yeah. Know, with, depending on the shade, and the, it's not high buildings at Greenpoint, but I feel like it's like I always have to put my gloves back on if I've taken them off. So yep. another another thing is don't throw those gloves away. You yeah. stick them in your pocket or down your shorts or in your or your arm sleeves or sports bra or whatever. You might it doesn't mean if it's warm, it doesn't mean it's going to stay warm. Um, and then your first significant hill is is like you're saying it's not that long, but it is the Plasky Bridge, and that's. You hit 13, and then 0.1 later, you hit 13.1. You're just at the crest of that bridge, and then it pops you down on the other side into Long Island City, and then you're in the third borough, just like that. Yeah. But it's uh, that's a pretty short bridge compared to like the 59th Street Bridge. But it, uh, it does get cold, cooler over there, and it's something to be you know conscious of. And um, you know, just to kind of if just because you're warming up early in the race doesn't mean you you're not going to get cold later in the race. I think the other thing too, and John, I remember from my experience in 14, which was the wind year, right? And, uh, you know, I think part of the, the cold too is the, uh, you know, there are buildings and you, you do go through some narrow spaces there in Brooklyn as, you know, it gets into Lafayette. And then Bedford is pretty narrow, um, which we'll mention something in, that happens there on Bedford. So you have kind of these these tighter areas. And so if it's a sunny day, you're not necessarily getting all the sun. And, and, you know, so I would definitely say like, I love for me, I, I love when my hands are warm and my head's warm. So I try to keep, uh, our throwaway gloves on as long as I can. Um, if I can keep them on the whole time and they don't bother me, then I'll do that. But that's a great suggestion because I think, again, going back to that beginning, you know, your emotions, your jazz, you know, that, that beginning of the race and really till you get to Lafayette, I mean, it's pretty wide open and there's going to be a ton of people. And I don't really think, I mean, I don't think I wouldn't say that the race thins out ever. (laughs) So unlike some races where, you know, you have this massive start and then it thins out at like mile eight or mile 10, that's not the case with New York. I think what happens is you kind of find your groove, right? If you're a 10 minute mile and you go out too fast and you'll pull back and you'll be with like the 10 minute mile people. And conversely, if you start out at a 10 minute mile and you catch up to the nine minute milers, then you're going to find that, that groove of people that are kind of running that pace. But, um, I do want to mention for our listeners at home, especially those on the team. and, And if we have some people there in Brooklyn, our first Project Purple Cheer Zone is right in uh, that Bedford section. So on Bedford Ave, right before the 20K mark is where we will be stationed. So I think that's something that's also for our, our listeners at home, you know, is always exciting. And I think the other thing that we really haven't talked about, John, is like planning, right? Friends and family in terms of locations to, to spot people. And, you know, we do two chair zones, one in, one in Brooklyn on Bedford Ave, and then the other one um, in Manhattan around 110th and first later in the race. But, uh, those are always good places to kind of hang out for our team. But also if people have a plan that aren't running with a charity and they have loved ones coming in, it's always good to kind of find areas that are kind of cool. I think Brooklyn has a lot of opportunities, easy to get to from Manhattan, whether it's Bedford, or if you go a little bit further, um, you know, earlier into the race, it's, I know it's easy to get to as well via the subway. getting interviewed to you know what's your top 10 tips yeah i'm doing some work with strava this year and they asked me for some of my top five local tips it's tough to narrow down five yeah uh, because you know there's so many things to talk about but i think like a your plan for the for spectators throughout the race to your cheer zones your support groups um figure out that plan prior to race day you don't want to be worrying about where everyone is on race day i always tell people designate like a, a race 
support uh, captain and has t- tell everyone to hey, there's this, here's Dino's cell phone. Ask him where we're going to be and ask him where we're going to be at the finish because you don't want to be worried about where Uncle Harry is and how he's going to get from mile four to mile fourteen. Have your brother, your sister, your spouse track you and do all that stuff because again, we're talking about conserving energy. It's a long race. It's lots of it's a long day. It's a, an early start. You got to figure out your, your your diet, your eating stuff, and the last thing you want to worry about is everyone texting you. And it's one thing to be texting you, good luck, and that's great, but. Oh, I can't. I lost cousin Jimmy. You know where? I did. Where are we? Yeah. Like so, so find someone to kind of. If you have a big group, um, have someone be in charge of that. And the same thing with race plan, race post race, which we'll talk about towards the end. Obvious reasons. Um, you know where you're going at the finish line. You don't want to be delirious. Your phone's dead. It's, it's, everyone's in family reunion. You don't know where you're going. You're trying to get a hold of everyone. You're exhausted. Your legs are killing you. <laughs> know where you're going and that could be as simple as getting an uber or a cab somewhere or going to a lobby of a hotel or a local bar know that stuff the day before or or, or before then so you're not wasting energy morning of trying to figure all that out let someone else do that you, you've worked too hard to, to waste your energy it's great to have the support staff and we all love that but uh it can be a little bit selfish race morning because you have some important work to do just a little bit so we talk about getting back to the race. You go over that Pulaski Bridge. You go into the lovely borough of Queens for a little bit. And then you head over to the next significant hill, which I think is technically the second biggest hill on the race, which is the Queensboro Bridge, which is also known as the 59th Street Bridge, which has a lot of, what would we say, John, mystique to it. Um, I may, might be a good term, but there's a lot of significance to this bridge because this is when you enter the borough of Manhattan for the first time. Yeah, it's uh, so there's a milestone there. Now, you obviously leave Manhattan to go to the Bronx, and then yeah. you're back to Manhattan, but it is Correct. the fourth borough on our journey. It's um, when I first ran in 2010, I had a lot of friends say, Oh, that's the toughest part of the course. And then I, I, then I ran the race, and then I realized that, that I didn't think it was because yeah. it's still pretty early in the race 15 to 16. Correct. Um, if you've trained properly and you didn't go out too fast, you should be in control. But it, it does have a mystique too, because like I talked about earlier, like you don't really care about those no spectators on the horizontal because I don't know you're you're just used to hanging out with runners all morning. Yeah. Those no spectators, other than volunteers, um, and then you run 15 miles and you're you know, reading all the signs and all the neighborhoods. And, you know, you're you're in the thick of it now, and then you go over this bridge and it's super quiet. There's no spectators. There's maybe one guy or gal talking, taking photos. There's maybe some, you know, a staff or someone out there, but even not a lot of staff out there. The other thing is it's actually, you're on, you're on the second level of that. Yep. So I talk about being cold again, if it's 50 to 60 degrees, you're feeling too warm. It's going to be 10 to 15 degrees cooler Cooler, because yeah. you're going over the Hudson, you're going over the East river and it's, you're in the shade and you have the crosswind typically come from typically North to South. And I definitely got colder on that bridge. That's something to be aware of. And it is a significant hill. You just want to focus on your effort and don't worry about your pace. Just know it's going to be slower. Um, one other thing, which I, I didn't realize at the time when I first ran it, but you'll see these numbers. I don't know if you remember, Dino, on the left-hand side, uh, the lower level that you're running on. And it's like, I think it's like 1 to 10. And I'm always like, you know, it's not a mile marker. Yeah. It's actually more of a uh, safety thing where yep. if Dino stubs his toe and he can't run anymore can't walk, gets in a pothole or something, and someone calls the race number and says, hey, Dino is, is needs a little help getting off the bridge, and you and your friend says, oh, Dino's on the bridge. 
Well, it's a, it's Where over on a mile the long. Yeah. So to say the bridge is helpful. So that's what those numbers are. You would say, oh, we're at uh, number six. Or we're team five and six on the bridge. Again, yeah. it, that's just the thing that I didn't realize after it took me a couple times to realize what that was. But that's something you'll notice. You really, the sound is the wind. You have the, the footprints of your, the footsteps of your fellow runners, everyone kind of breathing. It's kind of like the calm before the storm in a good way in the sense you can really settle in, gather your thoughts, because once you get over the bridge, the, the city erupts off the of you. The party know, starts. Kind of gets, like swung yeah. along like a corkscrew onto <laughs> First Avenue, which, you know, and it's like, it goes from like the quietest part of the race to the, to most, the most insane. The loudest. And yeah. it's, uh, people can get really carried away if they've run a smart race plan up until then. That can go south pretty quickly because the adrenaline kicks in and they just go crazy. Next thing you know, they're dropping their pace. That's a little yeah. early to be kicking home. That's something I would say curb your enthusiasm, take some of that energy, put it in your pocket, and save it for the Bronx because, you know, the crowds there are probably the, you know, 20 or 30, you know, deep on either side. And you're coming off the bridge, which is super quiet, super still, challenging as far as a hill for sure. But it's almost like two thirds of the bridge is uphill and then you have a steep downhill, only like a one third. Because it's almost it's a longer climb than there is a descent. If you remember that, you know. Yeah. Um, you can kind of just like it's a pretty steep hill going down, which can feel weird after beating up your quads for 16 miles. And you hit 16, and there's a bunch of hay bales on the on the corkscrew turn. That's Correct. mainly for the the wheelchair the, uh, wheelchair athletes yeah. because they're going pretty fast down that hill and they're making a sharp turn. So for for their safety, they have those hay bales, and then you kind of pop under the bridge. This is actually where there's probably. 40 or 50 Porter Johns. So if you do have to go to the bathroom, this is a good spot. Be a, because yeah. It's, you know, there's, there's a bunch of them under that tunnel and then you're on First Avenue and you have probably about three and a half miles straight shot to the Bronx. And there's definitely some hills there on First Avenue, but it's probably the, I would say the loudest part of the course as far as spectators and people out having drinks and having a good time. There's lots of bars on First Avenue. Yeah. I, I, I said, you know, in terms of what you just said, I, I, you know, I agree with everything. And I think the, the first year that I ran the race in 13, uh, you know, I realized I, I read something and someone said the Queensboro bridge is like really eerie and it gets really quiet out there. And like you said, I don't think for most people who have trained properly, like the wheels start to fall off at this point for most people, I think that happens a little bit later in the race, you know, further up first Ave, it tends to be the case or as you're in the Bronx possibly, but I think the one thing that gets really airy on that bridge is it gets really quiet. And I remember the first year going over, it was really, really quiet, but I had read something that, that, you know, you have to be careful about. And this is so much of what you just said. I think, you know, the first bridge, everyone's pumped, everyone's excited. And clearly by mile 15, not everyone's as pumped as excited. Right. But you start to hear the roar of the crowd on first Ave probably by like, I would say I, when I read, they said it was like, when you get to the halfway point of the bridge, I think it's probably closer to like three quarters of the finish of the bridge that you just really start to hear the the music, the chanting, the loudness. And it is kind of, it can get the bestie. And I, I will say, John, that you make a great point there. When you come off that bridge, it is very steep and that could give your, your quads some problems. You know, it's, it's worse going down than it is going up. But I think you just have to be careful because I think you get caught up really easily. And I think I got caught up a little bit that first year, not knowing 
the, you know, the full anticipation and how long first half is. I mean, it is three and a half miles, but that's three and a half miles is, you know, is long. That's, that's a fair amount of distance. So you just have to be careful because I think people might have, you know, another spike of adrenaline there as they come off that Queensboro bridge, because you go from like, it's, it's almost these two extremes. You go from like eerie, quiet, dark because you are underneath, um, you know, you'll be shaded from the sun if it's sunny, which is good if it's a hot day. And it could be cold, as you mentioned, with the river being there. But then you just go right into like the concert and you're on stage and everyone's cheering for you like right away. So you go from like zero in terms of energy to like a thousand you know, right away as you come off that bridge. So you got to be really careful um, with the Queensboro Bridge is, is my recommendation because I think people can get caught up really quickly in the emotion. And I think that's one thing that's a little bit different with New York is I think there's really some opportunities here on the course where people can get overly excited and um, you've got to write you know, you've got to, if you're looking to set a, a certain time or, you know, to, to, to PR or to, to BQ, you've got to really run a smart race. And that a lot of times is more the mental, um, you know, in terms of being careful where you pick your spots to really kind of have those boosts of energy and, and get excited with the crowd. Cause you can get carried yeah. away really quick. Absolutely. And, and I've run, this will be my ninth New York in a row. And so it, other than the first one where I ran, where I was, it was, it was kind of new. I, I consciously try to slow down on that first mile to yeah. 17 just because I know and even consciously slowing down, I'm still historically 15 to 20 seconds faster per mile. Yeah. So if I didn't consciously slow down, I might be looking at 30, 40, 50 seconds where it's just like, I know my favorite story about this is a buddy of mine was running six minute pace, trying to run 237, maybe get 558 pace or something. He dropped to 456 on that wow. 16 to 17 because he knew everyone. It was you know, <laughs> probably in a hundredth place because he's been running that type of time. Yeah. And he just like, he, you know, he still ran, I think, a decent time, but he made it a lot more difficult. He went from running six flat pace to 456 without even trying. It just, he can't even feel your legs, get the goosebumps. <laughs> so I just say, consciously slow down and you're still going to be faster. And that's okay. If you're 10 seconds faster that mile, 20 seconds, not a big deal. You just don't want to be 30 or 40. Um, and then even, you know, it, it does thin out as you get to 18 and 19 and then even 19 to 20 climbing out is a little bit of a hill. Yeah, over the, it's Willis the Rock, Bridge, it's definitely yeah. less. It's definitely less less people there, but that is definitely an issue where you, you love the crowds, but it can be a detriment here in the sense that it gets you carried away. It's a little late in the race to, to drastically pick it up, so just be careful for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. And then the other thing you know that I'll throw in here is in those times, you know, so mile eighteen and a half at one hundred tenth and first will be our second cheer zone there in Manhattan. And I know this year something different that the NYR has done that we are not participating in, unfortunately, because we have our chair zone at 18 and a half, but at mile 20 or, or shortly before the Willis Ave bridge there, I think it's more closer to uh, 19 and a half. So a mile up from where ours is will be the NYR designated charity chair zone. So you'll have a bunch of charities out there cheering on. So they have done a better job. I think NYR kind of moving people around to kind of where those wheels tend to fall off, as we say uh, here in the running game, you know, usually around mile 18 to 20 to 22 is kind of where, where we see that, where we hit the struggle bus a bit, John. Um, and then, you know, you come off uh, the Willis Ave bridge for a short stint there in the Bronx, which I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, John, is the shortest of all the boroughs, correct? The time that you spend in the Bronx, I think it's not even a mile, right? It's like eight tenths of a mile. 
Yeah, it's, I feel like it's a little bit more now. I think in the back of the day, it was just literally you ran around on the telephone pole. Probably <laughs> in the Bronx for like I mean, there's an old video. One of the, I think the first one of the first ones with Bill Shorter and um, uh, say Frank Sh- Frank Shorter and Bill Rogers. They literally just like follow each other around this pole. And they just use their hand to kind of get around it. Um, <laughs> I think it's a little bit more than a mile, but I know it's seven turns. So I'm, I'm, I'm oh, running wow. the last ten this weekend, and so it, it's um it's definitely kind of like disorienting in the sense that you're probably not very familiar with that part of the Bronx just because it's not like a typical running route. It's yeah. Kind of, they need to get in the Bronx for the five borough thing. And you need to be 26.2 at the end by the time you get to the tavern on the green. So they, there's an, I think there's a random turn by the Western beef. And every time I run it with it not in the race, I'm always like, I have to be lost. This can't be <laughs> it's really a small low key street around a Western beef. Um, but that's probably the fifth or sixth turn. But it's a little over a mile, but it is Long Island City. You're probably in a little bit longer, but definitely Bronx is the sh- other than Staten Island, obviously, but yeah. the distance. Um, definitely the shortest amount of time spent in the Bronx. But uh, seven turns, and if you're you're struggling, it, you know, it's definitely kind of can be disorienting, and you do have to climb back out of the Bronx over the little bridge there. The um, Madison Avenue Bridge, I think Madison is what Avenue it's called. Bridge, yeah. And it pops you into Fifth Avenue, and then... You're back in Manhattan, which is your fourth and sixth borough. Um, and then, then at least you should get a little, there's always a sign, someone with a sign saying last damn bridge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but then, yeah, there is a kind of a mental victory because you're beyond 20, you're back in Manhattan, you're climbing your way up to Central Park. And, uh, but definitely be uh, conscious that there's a bunch of turns in, in the Bronx and that not, 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 not to get lost, not to get lost, but not to be distracted just kind of like you know follow everyone around and there's decent the crowds have definitely gotten better there i think the first time i ran there was less crowds and i feel like every year they get more and more so you know it's not and again it's also nice not to be so everyone in your face every time it's nice to kind of have time to check yourself and check your breathing and regroup and maybe do some quick math if you're trying to target a certain time um so, you know, again, use these spots to your advantage. And it, it's, um, there's obviously pros and cons of certain parts of the course, uh, just like First Avenue. It's super exciting, but also could get you way too fast. And negative. So take, take the positive of each section of the course and, uh, and, and, you know, one step at a time. I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I think they have, you know, usually the, the Robin Hood folks are usually there in the Bronx with a big, TV screen and there's a bunch of kids because they support education and youth in, in the New York City area. So I know those guys are usually out there and there are a lot of turns, uh, but I think that kind of, you know, coming off that last bridge, you kind of have this sense that uh, even with those signs at the race, you know, you're, you've got, you know, four miles left, five miles, depending on where you are, that, you know, the race is almost over and you're in the home stretch, as we say, right? But there is a little bit of a hill there on uh, on Fifth Ave as you head towards Central Park. And I know it's not the biggest hill. It's not even comparable to, you know, when we look at the elevation charts in terms of the Queensboro Bridge, but I always, we always joke about this. So like around mile 23, I think it starts and it's, you know, 24, it kind of levels off and then you've got a little bit of a dip and then you're back up a bit in 25. But, you know, at that point, what seems, uh, you know, as little as the hill may be, 
may seem like a mountain, right? Because you're at that point in the race where you just want to be done and over with. And you're like, how could these guys put a hill in at the finish? But it's also iconic because it brings you into kind of the central park area and you've got kind of some dips and turns into the park and then you're back out and then you're back in for the iconic finish. But what else could our runners expect there, John, in those last couple miles? I mean, the, the crowds are thicker, right? Because it is the finish. Um, you are in Manhattan, so it's a little bit more electric. The scenery is a lot um, you know, more to the city, whereas a little is a lot different than Brooklyn and, and possibly, you know, some of the other parts of the race. But what are some of the other things runners can expect there in, in that last stretch? Yeah, I feel like when I first ran in 2010, everyone talked about the Nice Street Bridge and no one, everyone failed to talk about mile 23, which I feel like <laughs> is the toughest part of the course because yeah. it's later in the course. It's not again, I think it's from really, it's from. You know, it's cool to get, you drop into you know, Fifth Avenue and you run. It's pretty flat. You're running through Harlem. But Marcus Garvey Park is pretty cool because you make a right, then a left, yep. a left, and then a right to kind of go around it because you can't run through the park. Great crowds there. I think Harlem Run has a group there. It's a local club and very exciting. And it's, it's you know, there might be a gospel choir there. It's a pretty cool part of the course. So as soon as you make that, uh, like the last turn to get back on Fifth Avenue, once you go beyond Marcus Garvey, that's funny thing is also if you're not familiar with the city, sometimes people think that that's Central Park. Yeah, and but it's nope, not. It's, nope, it's, nope. It's a, it's, a, it's a small park compared to Central Park. You're not quite there. But once you get back on Fifth Avenue in a couple of uh, blocks, once you get to uh, like 107th, and where you said that Project Purple is at 110 and 5th, yeah. right? Is that correct? Yep. So that's that's good timing. But don't let the cheer section for Project Purple get you carried away because you know, you'll get a boost there. But it's perfect timing because from 106, Seven to ninety first is about twelve hundred meters, and that's a climb. Yeah, it's not a it, by itself. It's not that bad, but after twenty three miles, yeah. it, it, it catches up with you. And when I first ran in two thousand ten, I started slowing up there, and I was confused of why I was slowing up. And then I realized after the fact, silly me, because I used to live on the Upper East Side, so I easily could have just run that um, multiple times that I would I, I enter the park at ninetieth and fifth, like you do on race day. And, I easily could have taken a different route one day and, and run that section, but it, it is a challenging hill, and I just know you're going to slow there a little bit. I, my, my issue was I didn't realize, I thought I was like, the wheels were falling off because I was running a certain good pace in 2010, and so it got, kind of got in my head a little bit. I thought I was like, oh, here comes this wall, Yeah. and I, I really was just going up the hill. I was running, at the time, I was running a six-minute pace, and then I started running 6.15, and I was like, uh-oh, and then I looking back on it, I was fine. It just was a hill, and I didn't. It was just, and you know, it just wasn't something that I, I you noticed as a hill. So I typically think that's because then it's challenging because mentally you're not quite in the park. You're next to it. You yep. can't get caught looking at the street signs. I would recommend <laughs> yeah. not counting. Cause it seems like it takes forever. Yeah, just put your head down, know that you're climbing, and keep your effort the same. But then you, once you crest that hill at 91st, one block later is 90th. Nice little cheer section there. I think Team for Kids is there. Yeah, you make a sweeping right into a, and then a left into the park. And then you're just just before 24 mark. So then you get you basically, you know, a couple steps later, hit 24. Now you have 2.2 miles. You're in the park. You're probably going to finish. Um, the crowds are definitely better there. I just, like, you could hear the finish like, line. Yeah. John, I think from my memory, I think at that point, like when you enter the park, maybe not right at 90th, but as you ascend down and go south into the park you can start to hear the finish line and you can hear the kind of the the, the loud speakers and the music and stuff like that so it kind of has that crazy vibe of 
you know, like you, you've kind of made it, but you're not yet there at the finish line, but you still have two miles to go, which at 24, I know for a lot of people seems like an eternity, but at least you can kind of see or kind of hear maybe possibly like the, the, the end is near. Right. And you get kind of excited. Yeah. I mean, even if you're having a really tough time, like you're in the park, taste it, you know, you get 24, then 25, and then you're, your shoot 25 is, you know, there's some ups and downs as far as hills, but not, they're not bad. Uh, everyone talks about the Central Park being really hilly, and there's quite a lot of hills in yeah. Central Park, but you don't run them. You're, they're not part of the course. Harlem Hill is not part of the course. No. Uh, Cat Hill is, but you're running down it. You're running like down this. it, yeah. So, so um, but then, you, you know, you hit, the, you hit 25, and then um, that's right when you're exiting the park. Actually, I, people forget you exit the park, and you make a right at, at, at Grand Army Plaza there, the Manhattan version of that, right by the plaza, you make a right. And then you're basically having a mile left. And half of that Central Park South is a quite a, yeah, it's not a terrible climb, but there is a little bit of a climb up to up the circle. Yep. Um, but again, I don't, it's never really bothered me because it's like you're in the final mile, you're going to finish, you're, you're in pain, but it's, you know, you get a little mental boost because you're so close. And then you make that right at Club the Circle, and, um, which I never recognized because, you know, if you go to Central Park now and you go into Club the Circle, it's like, a very small path, but that yeah. day it's like there's grandstand seats. There's like all the branding is up. It seems yeah. like you're in a uh, an Ironman triathlon like course where it's like it's just a elaborate finish. Um, and you take and, that and left and on the central, to the yeah, and that's uphill for sure, which is uphill. Yeah, but I mean, I think you know the two years that I've run it, I've gotten to Central Park. I've struggled before. And then you get to like mile 24 and, and for me, I realized, Hey, like, Hey, I've got two miles to go. And then when you take that right-hand turn on central park South, I mean, I've been fortunate that both times I've run, I've had decent times and there's still a lot of people out there on central park South. There's still a lot of people in Columbus circle. And then, you know, you, you, once you hit Columbus circle, and I think now they have a DJ they're blasting music and there's a lot of TV screens that are showing, you know, the race and showing you, it's kind of hard not to have another one of those moments. Like we talked about at the beginning or, you know, on the Verrazano or possibly on the 59th street bridge where you get so excited, regardless of how poorly you may feel to just finish this thing with, you know, just a a great charge at the end. And there are Hills. I mean, I, I know central park that that last 800 is not flat by any means you are running uphill but i think just the energy and the emotion can carry you right through the finish and, and have a strong finish yeah that's a great finish it's you know, kind of on the green and then there's obviously there's logistics with this finish line too where there's baggage no baggage you get your medal you get your, your recovery and that's where you want to know where you're going you don't want to start okay well, now what you know, the race <laughs> is over a lot of people don't, don't come up with a pre post-race plan yeah. because they're so focused about training and then getting to the start and then once they're eating with the pasta dinner or whatever they're doing beforehand, and then they all they get the race, they get to the finish line. They're like, "Oh wait, I forgot this part. Where is everyone? Like the cell phone's dead. Uh, there's no cell phone service. Like I don't want to walk anywhere. Yeah. Where's everyone?" So definitely know that race right before, so then you're not scrambling or you know taking forever because you definitely want to meet up with your friends and grab a beer and take a shower or whatever your protocol is. But um, don't be stranded or left wandering because Absolutely. it does get pretty cold and you're you're pretty beat up after the day. Yeah, and then and, and if you have baggage and, and you know this is stuff again on the New York 
Roadrunner website for the marathon. If you selected no baggage, you're getting a poncho. You come out of the park a little bit earlier um, than those who have selected a baggage drop, which go further north. But again, Central Park West, which is uh, that that western part of Central Park, is closed, and and there are checkpoints. And this is all listed on the website. You know, have a plan. I think is the most important thing for our charity runners. For our team, we we select a location. We have our after party, which is a couple blocks away from Columbus Circle, and we suggest that runners just meet their family and friends there um, as kind of a place, or have an offsite, kind of away from Central Park uh, meet and greet. Not necessarily right there in Columbus Circle, but maybe a couple blocks west, or you know, a couple blocks south, so they kind of can get out of the the you know the commotion. I know the the two years that I've run. I mean, it's taken me. And I selected no baggage both years. I mean, I think it took me an hour both years to kind of eventually meet up with my family once I crossed that finish line, just because of my finish times and the volume of people. I think something, John, for our listeners at home that have never run this race and might be running this for the first time, I know we talked about in the beginning, like getting 50,000 plus runners, 8,000 volunteers to Staten Island. I think the same could be said for Central Park, which is a much smaller footprint, you know, especially because parts of the park are still open, the Northern parts, but that Southern part of the park is closed. But just imagine you're getting 50,000 plus runners, you've got spectators, and then you've got thousands of volunteers that are helping in multiple capacities that day from medical to metals and to hydration and, and you know just general support. So all in kind of a, a really, really small area. So it's really, I think the one thing that we could leave with everyone is just have a plan. You know, if you are gonna do a meetup to, to have that plan, ahead of time and not the the night before, you know, try to maybe do some research ahead of time. And there's some great resources that we've mentioned, you know, on the New York Roadrunner website, you know, on the marathon page to look at. Sure. John, what's the one thing that we can say about this course for someone who's never run it before? I know we went through each part, you know, here in this podcast, but what's maybe the most important thing that we can leave with the audience here today? Yeah, if it's your first marathon ever, or your first New York, only your first time once, really enjoy taking the city. It's, I'm a local, you know, I grew up in Long Island, I went to college in Queens, I lived in the city all my life, and I didn't see the certain parts of the course until I ran the marathon in 2010. And I remember thinking, like, shame on me, I'm like, I should be a tourist in your own, like my own city. So this is great parts of the course. I've run all the majors except Tokyo, and I've run Paris. I just, maybe I'm biased towards New York, but it's just my favorite. And, um, I just feel like it's, um, it's just take the city in, enjoy it. And it's really, again, the number one rule of marathoning is not going out too fast. And it, it's, it's, it's trickier and it's easier to go out too fast in New York because yeah. the level of excitement. And so just really try to curb your enthusiasm as far as your energy level, but embrace the city at the same time. So I know that's kind of the opposites of each other, but, um, I just think it's a really special day in the city and, and it's a great, you know, tour of the city and, and, and there's a lot you can see um and obviously you're, you're, you're running for a great cause in project purple and you're and, and, you, and again this is like the icing on the cake i think a lot of what you learn about yourself it comes through the fundraising and the training you do the four to five months leading up to race day race day is important and it's great to get that medal you mentioned you know the special apple this year yeah is, you know and that's great that's medal cool. But it's it's all the you know, even if you didn't run the race for whatever reason, it's, it's the journey of getting to the starting line. I think is almost probably more important, and you've already kind of done that. And even if you didn't train as well as you thought you should have, or whatever, had an injury here or there, it's still a magical. 
cares how fast you are out there. Everyone has a medal at the end of the day, and and it's probably the and New York is known as like not necessarily an unfriendly city, but I think it's more because it's a busy city. Everyone's busy, but it's not that they're not nice. They just they're just beelining into the next location. So I think on that day, New Yorkers are have more time for you, and they're a little bit more kinder because you know they see your poncho on you, and you see that medal, and they're they're going to give you a high five or a congratulations because everyone knows what that means when you have that medal around your neck. So it's just just embrace the day, enjoy it. And you can't control what you can't control, so just focus on what you can do, and uh, have a great day. I can't echo those sentiments more, John. I think you hit it right on the the head there in terms of you know that feedback, and I, I think it's a very special race. I feel blessed that I've run it twice. And I've, this will be my 10th marathon. So I've done a bunch of other marathons, a lot of big marathons. Um, so I, I think it's it's the best day of the year. I think you mentioned that before, you know, in terms of what goes on in New York. And it's, you know, the largest sporting event typically in the New York City area for the whole year, unless the Super Bowl is going on or the World Series. And that hasn't happened for a couple of years. So uh, I, I think that the city comes out and, and just really take it all in and, and realize the specialness. Hopefully for those that are running with Project Purple, see that. And if there's people listening that are running for other charities, you know, there's so many great charities in the race. And I think that's something special, you know, with this race, you know, there's over, I think this year there'll be over 7,500 or close to 8,000 charity runners. So, you know, the field is over 50, but you know, there's a, there's a fair amount of charity runners, official charity runners. And I know a lot of people will, will sign up and run with charities if they have their own entry, whether it's guaranteed or through the, through the drawing system. So, you know, it's something that's really special, um, that I think is not, seen in other parts of the world um, in terms of the race. And so it, it's really kind of a special day. And, and really, I think to, to echo what you said is just take it all in and enjoy the experience because it is really special to have the ability to run the race and be part of it. So I appreciate the time, John. One last thing, if there's someone who's listening to this and has like a specific question about like, hey, John, like what would you do in this situation? I've never run the race. And because of your experience, We'd love to give our listeners an opportunity to reach out to you if they have questions. What's the best way for someone to reach out to you if they have questions specifically on the New York City Marathon or running in general, possibly? Yeah, I mean, I get a lot of DMs out of on my Instagram, which is just John Honorcamp, which is J O H N H O N E R K A M P. But since I'm affiliated with Project Purple, I do have a coach, John, at projectpurple.org uh, email address. You can reach out to me, but feel free to hit me up in um, public and. Um, I definitely got my fair amount of questions and no questions too silly. I've heard it all. Awesome. Um, people get nervous and they feel like it's, uh, you know, 60 years old and I'm, I'm supposed to know this, but you know, running is, uh, it might be new to you or, or if you took a, took a long break and now you're coming back to it and you have a question, just don't be shy. You'd rather figure it out beforehand and I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have. And if I don't know, the, if I don't know the answer, I know someone who does. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, John, thank you once again for being a guest. Thank you for all you do for Project Purple. And believe me, I cannot wait. And I know we cannot wait for next weekend. It can't get here sooner enough, but you know, we're, we're going to take the next, I think, nine days or 10 days to kind of relax, chill. I think it's 12 days, actually. Uh, we'll just chill. We'll, we'll uh, taper here. We'll hydrate, get our minerals in, and we cannot wait for Marathon Sunday. It's going to be an awesome day. I know it will be. Awesome. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Mm-hmm.